Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, there is not snow on the ground, but if there is, hey, don't blame me for it. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Dustin Huffman and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag announced this week that a successful water quality initiative project in Mahaska County is expanding into Jasper and Marion counties while also adding a new phase that focuses on edge-of-field conservation practices. Since the Mahaska County South Skunk and Cedar Creek Headwaters watershed project started in 2020, Nearly 20,000 acres of cover crops have been seeded in the project area. The next phase of this project will continue to emphasize the use of infield conservation practices like cover crops. However, the project will also now include an added focus on the installation of edge-of-field practices such as saturated buffers, bioreactors, and wetlands on an even larger territory. These proven practices help to filter the water and remove nutrients before they enter our waterways. Depending on the landscape, grade stabilization structures will also be implemented. Not only are we adding more conservation and water quality practices to the successful project, but we are also increasing the territory size to positively impact even more acres and accelerate our water quality progress, said Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag. These practices have been proven to work, and if you are a farmer or landowner in this project area, we invite you to work with us to get them installed. Through the WQI, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship is investing approximately $388,017 in the next phase of this project. In other news, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship and the USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service have confirmed two more positive cases of highly pathogenic avian influenza, one in Pocahontas County and the other in Guthrie County. The affected site in Pocahontas County is a commercial turkey flock, The affected site in Guthrie County is a mixed-species backyard flock. Commercial and backyard flock owners should prevent contact between their birds and wild birds. Sick birds or unusual deaths among birds should be immediately reported to state or federal officials. Biosecurity resources and best practices are available on the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship website. If producers suspect signs of HPAI in their flocks, they should contact their veterinarian immediately. Possible cases must also be reported to the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship at 515-281-5305. According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the recent HPAI detections in birds do not present a public health concern. It remains safe to eat poultry products. As a reminder, consumers should always utilize the proper handling and cooking of eggs and poultry products, including cooking to an internal temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily ag news stories on iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter to get our daily content conveniently delivered to you every day. When we come back, Dustin talks about Pork Month. This is Weekend Ag Matters. October is Pork Month, and in Iowa, we have no shortage of pork producers to celebrate. In all, there are 147,105 Iowa jobs created by the pork industry through direct, indirect, and induced jobs, and those jobs in turn create $8.64 billion in labor income. 
Make sure you support one of Iowa's most important industries by enjoying some farm-raised Iowa pork this month. This message is brought to you by your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. It is October Pork Month here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network and across the country. I'm Dustin Huffman, and as we look at Pork Month, we talk about what's going on in the marketplace. Of course, prices maybe aren't exactly where we want to see them, but that doesn't mean we aren't trying to expand the marketplace and increase demand both domestically and internationally. had the chance to talk with Dr. David Newman of the National Pork Board, and he kind of gives us an update as to where things are. So during October, obviously, we celebrate everything that is great about the pork industry. And Iowa is no stranger to what's great about the pork industry as the top pork producing state in the country. But tell us a little bit about the work being done from the National Pork Board. Obviously, market growth is still something that's very top of mind for you guys as we talk about and how we celebrate our products and how we grow our animals and raise our animals. How we're able to market that is just as important. Yeah, thank you, Dustin. And you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, when you really take a look at the entire pork industry, this really comes down to uh, consumer taking the product that we produce, uh, which is pork, right? And either purchasing that in a food service establishment or purchasing it in a retail chain, uh, consuming it and liking it enough to repeat the process. So market growth is very, very important on the day-to-day activities for your uh, US pork producers that we represent with the National Pork Board. Uh, And for me, in my role at at National Pork Board, I've been involved in the pork industry my entire life. I'm very proud to be a part of the pork industry. Uh, Something that I say is this is about both short and long-term demand. Um, We have a very challenging situation in the pork industry today. Uh, Many of the listeners here know that very well. Um, This is about positioning pork to say right now, Uh, We need to move a lot of volume. We work on moving volume domestically and internationally. Uh, And then we also need to think about value and adding value and positioning pork to the right consumers for a long-term position for pork as a protein. And so that's something that we work on every day uh, and happy to give many different examples of those individual pieces we talk about. Well, so that's what I was going to ask. You know, we, we talk about pork consumption. We're seeing more of it get picked up at the grocery store as prices, you know, for, for beef, for example, are, are quite high right now. But, you know, in the market for the pork industry, I know for the farmers, the numbers aren't maybe as great as we would like them to be. But obviously getting that value to the consumer, creating that demand is what's going to drive that price up. And, and how is that being accomplished through the checkoff? Sure. I mean, and you're right. That's how it that's how we're actually going to work on this. And and while we have challenging times, we have a tremendous amount of opportunity. So right now, you know, really this is about creating a position for pork uh, and creating long-term demand. I'll give you some examples. We work daily uh, throughout the year with retailers to actively promote pork through a variety of different topics. But it's really about understanding how are we working with not only retailers, but food service companies as well, uh, specific to the domestic marketplace. Uh, Right now, we're going after people who are known pork buyers. We're going after people who are possibly lapsed buyers. Uh, We know that since the COVID-19 pandemic, 
Uh, there's been a lot of things that have been a little bit upside down in this meat business. As we start to see uh, the economy change and we start to see government dollars that we're going into uh, uh, purchasing for consumers, we've seen a lot of different things change. So we analyze that and we look at those insights on a daily basis and we look and work with individual partners about how we can position pork. Uh, and to give you a very specific example, uh, right now we have, have gone through the summer and now into the fall where we are working very strategically with individual retailers, with very specific retailers that we know have high pork consuming audiences to focus on items like chops, uh, ribs, uh, and ground pork, which is a big piece. And not just ground pork that we talk about every day and we love as representing pork producers, but also sausage as well. Uh, and those everyday items, thinking about pork is not just center of the plate, but thinking about pork as an ingredient is something that's really important when we talk about how we're going to position uh, things moving forward. Uh, we also have a lot of activation in terms of knowing the customer. And what I mean by that is who is the customer of pork in the future? And we're thinking beyond the generational um, uh, promotion that we've done in the past, think along the lines of boomers. As an example, uh, now we need to focus on Generation Z. We need to focus on millennials. We need to focus on those consumers of the future. And the consumer of the future is not only millennials and millennial moms individually, uh, but it's also a multicultural audience. So we put a deep dive into Hispanic, African-American markets as an example of really understanding who the consumer is, where are they, where are they shopping, uh, how are they shopping, meaning online or in-store, and how can we position this better um, as pork as a protein to put it into their basket. You know, and you, and you bring up that interesting thing, and it's not just international cultures that do this, but even here in America, you know, we talked about, the, you know, the center of the plate having the pork chop or the, or the ribs or, or what have you, but it's also the bacon that maybe goes into a side dish with or alongside the eggs in the breakfast plate or I, I put extra bacon in the baked beans or or maybe it's ground pork in, in, a, in a pasta dish or in a in a wonton kind of thing. It's a whole international thing where pork is more, like you said, than than just the center of the plate. It is an essential ingredient to many, many uh, cultural dishes as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's actually what gives pork an exciting position moving forward. Uh, this doesn't necessarily have to be a conversation about uh, a, a substitute for beef, as you mentioned earlier, or even poultry. This is really celebrating pork for its taste and flavor, which is how we need to lead the conversation, is pork is really, really good. And it's good beyond just bacon. Uh, certainly bacon is an important processed item for the pork industry. We all know that. We celebrate it. We should celebrate it every day. Uh, but also fresh pork is a big piece. And you mentioned uh, ground pork. You, you actually just talked about some multicultural dishes. This whole concept about pork as an ingredient is really, really important. And it can help position us long term. Uh, in, in not only the retail space, the food service space, the e-commerce space, uh, by taking and learning from what customers and consumers are doing and positioning it to them the right way. And that may not be the way that we did it 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, the new generation of consumer is entirely different. They shop different. They are certainly all digital. So it's a, a position right now where we need to understand them and what they want. 
Uh, they want taste and flavor, which is really important. But another thing that we know a barrier to consumption is, is human nutrition. So we've also got to position pork as a healthy, nutritious, and delicious protein in the marketplace. And, and what is that message that you do put out there for the, for the nutrition part of it? Right. So we just recently launched this fall, really exciting. Uh, our human nutrition team here at National Pork Board just launched our new campaign, which is called Surprisingly Pork, which is very specifically focused on millennial moms. It's also focused on working with multicultural audiences, talking about the health benefits, and I did say health benefits of eating pork, and that there's been a lot of, of, of long-term misnomers about where pork or where other proteins fit in the human nutrition cycle. But the reality is, and we're subverting people's ingrained beliefs over time, uh, the pork is a nutritious protein. That again was Dr. David Newman of the National Pork Board here during National Pork Month as we wrap that up here later on this next week. Well, that's going to do it for segment two. Mark Magnuson is waiting on deck to wrap up Weekend Ag Matters. He'll be with us in a moment. The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the Soy Checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Your productivity, profitability, and sustainability are top of mind this harvest season for you and for us. From increasing soybean demand worldwide to determining what conservation practices best suit your farm, the Iowa Soybean Association has your back every step of the way. Unlock your field's full potential and harvest the benefits of farmer membership by visiting IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. In segment number three of Weekend Ag Matters, I bring you audio from Monday's China-U.S. Sustainable Agricultural Trade Forum and Contract Signing Ceremony in downtown Des Moines. The event was co-organized by the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Iowa Soybean Association, and the U.S. Grains Council, along with other ag groups. Here is CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Jim Sutter, followed by Chinese Ambassador to the U.S., Xia Feng. Well, welcome, and thank you for responding so quickly when I ask people to sit down. My name is Jim Sutter, and I'm the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. We represent U.S. soybean farmers, U.S. soy exporters, and the whole export supply chain, as well as sustainable U.S. soy around the world. Welcome to the U.S.-China Sustainable Agricultural Trade Forum and Signing Ceremony. This is organized by the China Chamber of Commerce of Import and Export of Foodstuffs, Native Produce and Animal Byproducts, and thank goodness that organization goes by CFNA, because that is easier to say. Um, the Iowa Soybean Association, thank you Iowa Soybean, U.S. Grains Council, and USEC. So we are thrilled to have all of you here. Members of industry, members of the trade, farmers, we're so thrilled to have all of you here. Thank you very much for taking time to join us for this big occasion. We have not had a gathering like this, a signing ceremony, for several years. Uh, um, it's been quite a while since we have done it. Six years, I believe. So we're thrilled to be doing it again, and it's just great to be together, especially on the front end of the Borlaug Dialogue, this World Food Prize, because it's a time to celebrate and advance 
sustainable food and nutrition, and trade plays such a critical role in making that happen for people around the world. And I think we, those of us who work in the trade industry, we all hear these anti-trade voices talking about how trade is a bad thing, how countries should focus on being self-sufficient. If you think about China and the US, they are a great example of how trade works and how important trade is. A country that has almost 20% of the world's population, 90% of the arable land, and they have done a great job creating great food security in their country through the power of trade. And so I think it's a great example for us to hold up. But as I said earlier, building on the, on the agricultural relationship, using this trade relationship as the ballast, we want to help make your job an easy one and a very fun one. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you for getting ready to share some words of wisdom with us. And thank you for taking your time. Ambassador Shia, the floor is yours. Just now, Chinese delegates told me that they will sign over 10 order, orders at the ceremony today, worth multi-billion dollars. The momentum is running strong, and there is a lot to expect from our agricultural cooperation. Also in one week, the sixth China International Import Expo will kick off in Shanghai, my hometown. We are most happy to have more than 230 American businesses registered for the event this year. China will continue to open its arms and share development opportunities with the world, and especially with the United States. As we build up our strengths in agriculture, and seek to achieve modernization for the nearly 500 million Chinese farms. Getting enough to eat is no longer a problem. What the Chinese people care about now is how to eat well and healthy. As you can imagine, with that will come an even more robust demand for quality agricultural products. We are also advancing agri-tech innovation and green agriculture. All these will open up vast space for China-U.S. agricultural cooperation. China-U.S. agricultural cooperation is a shining example that, is, that has benefited both peoples and the world. As a car, one, and one economist once asked, who will feed China? Today, China's grain self-sufficiency rate is above 95%. With less than 9% of the world's arable land, we have managed to feed nearly one-fifth of the world's population and made positive contributions to international food security. China's hybrid rice is now grown in nearly seven, 70 countries, which has boosted the total global grain output by 150 million tons, enough to feed 
400 to 500 million more people. In the 1980s, the hybrid rice technology was introduced into the United States as the first agricultural patent technology exported by China. Four decades later, it has covered 50% of the total U.S. rice area. As we speak, about 800 million people around the world are still living in hunger, and global food security is facing grave and complex challenges. Agricultural competition between us will not only Agricultural cooperation between us will not only bring more food choices to our people's tables and more income into farmers' pockets, but also enable us to combat common challenges such as global food security with advanced agrotech for the benefit of the entire humanity. This is the shared responsibility of China and the United States as two major countries for building a world free from hunger and want. Of course, we are still facing serious difficulties and challenges in China-US relations. As Jim said just now, I felt more irresponsibility rather than an honor to be China's 12th ambassador to the United States. To deepen agricultural cooperation, we need to say no to attempts to politicize economic issues or overstretch the concept of security. Recently, a top international agriculture company was ordered by a state to sell the farmland it had owned for 35 years. The company has employed 4,000 Americans and has been serving American farmers with advanced agritech across over 40 states. Annually, it provides a salary of about 510 million US dollars and purchases 2 billion US dollars worth of goods and services. Over the past 53 years of its operation in the United States, never has it posted, posed any national security risk. But now it is subject to unreasonable suppression, simply because it was bought by a Chinese company six years ago. Just imagine if such discrimination and unfair treatment happens to an American company investing elsewhere, which risks getting kicked out anytime in disregard of the contract, how would the US government and people feel? Is there any basic respect for the spirit of contract, market rules, and fair play? Dear friends, 38 years ago, during his first visit to Iowa, President Xi Jinping personally sowed seeds of friendship. Today, the seeds have grown into lush trees. When getting together with his old friends from Iowa in 2012, 
President Xi said that Iowa was my first stop to get to know the, America, the United States. And you were the first group of Americans that I came into contact with. To me, you are America. Now to me and my colleagues, this is still the case. The open-minded, warm-hearted, and hard-working people of Iowa continue to be the epitome of America. To me, again, you are America. You are true America. In China, we have a song named On the Fields of Hope, which is about the farmer's joy at a bumper harvest and expectation for a bright future. On my way from Des Moines to Muscatine, uh, in the footsteps of President Xi yesterday, the crops laden colorful autumn fields of Iowa again brought the melody to my mind. I'm deeply impressed by how much our peoples share in common. We both have a deep love for the soil under our feet. Both take pride to our, in our honest work and both want a better life. Our pursuit of peace, enthusiasm for cooperation, and value of friendship are not to be dismissed. Let us together sow more seeds of friendship and reap more fruits of cooperation on the fields of hope. Thank you very much. That was Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, followed by Chinese Ambassador to the U.S., Xia Feng. And that wraps up segment number three of this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. You can find this episode and all of our previous episodes of Weekend Ag Matters on the podcast page of our website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Riley Smith, I'm Mark Magnuson. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week for Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.